Now tell me, Commander, what is Data? I don't understand. What is he? A machine. Is he? Are you sure? Yes. You see, he's met two of your three criteria for sentience, so what if he meets the third? Consciousness in even the smallest degree. What is he then? I don't know. Do you? Do you? Do you? Well, that's the question you have to answer. Your Honor, a courtroom is a crucible. In it, we burn away irrelevances until we are left with a pure product, the truth, for all time. Now, sooner or later, this man, or others like him, will succeed in replicating Commander Data. Now, the decision you reach here today will determine how we will regard this creation of our genius. It will reveal the kind of a people we are, what he is destined to be. It will reach far beyond this courtroom and this one android. It could significantly redefine the boundaries of personal liberty and freedom, expanding them for some, savagely curtailing them for others. Are you prepared to condemn him and all who come after him to servitude and slavery? Your Honor, Starfleet was founded to seek out new life. Well, there it sits, waiting. You wanted a chance to make law, well, here it is. Make it a good one. What is this? The Vintage Picard Podcast. It's um, discussion, analysis, debate about Star Trek Picard. All right, good. It's really quite exciting, actually. Very good, fine. I'll listen to it. Engage. Hello, Picard people, and welcome to Vintage Picard, an engaging podcast about Star Trek Picard and Star Trek at large. Brought to you by... Two gentlemen, and uh, who might those gentlemen be? Well, I will tell you. I am Gary McComiskey, longtime Star Trek fan and my co-host on this trek. Hello, I'm James Sejazi, also a longtime Star Trek fan. Hello, James Sejazi. I I know you know, but I would like you, dear listener, to know that James and myself, we are two guys who take Star Trek seriously. Ourselves, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> I want you to know, be aware, I am on tonight. So that that is, that is you are forewarned for this episode. <laughs> just just at a FYI, so you know what you're getting yourself into there. So right here at the top of the podcast, before we jump into all the Star Trek stuff, and there is plenty of Star Trek stuff to jump into, before we do that, not to bring down the mood, but in light of everything that's going on, on behalf of James and myself, I just want to really quick recognize all of the people who are out there keeping the world running in uh, in the face of this pandemic that we are saddled with at the moment. Obviously, the medical professionals, the police, fire, all the civil servants, sanitation, all the uh, the people who are keeping our infrastructure running but also some of the heroes that may be a little more unsung, which is to say the people who are keeping our food going, the people who are making it, the people who are, are, are delivering it, the people who are staffing the grocery stores and, and, and keeping those operations running, all the stores really that are, are keeping us going in this, uh, this time 
when they have more exposure than they probably should, those people. And of course, all the delivery people who are, are keeping the supply lines running just with all the packages and all the things that are being delivered around the country and around the world. All of the uh, the truck drivers and, and, and you know, all the people, the the mailmen, the letter carriers, the, the all everyone. If and if, if you are out there doing something vital and I haven't mentioned you transit workers. If I haven't mentioned you, it's it's just an oversight. It's not a slight. We appreciate all of you. That is an understatement. Thank you so much for being out there and, and keeping the world going in these crazy times. Thank you. For our own part, obviously, I, I think we are not nearly as critical as those other people, but we will try to do what little bit we can to try and entertain you and, and try and, you know, take your mind off of whatever you may be going through at the moment. So I hope that we are successful in being able to do that for just a little while. And how will we do that? Well, I hope we'll do it by talking about some Star Trek, some Star Star Trek. Do, 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 do. You know the track I'm talking about. That's that's the that you know it's the the, the one with the the ship, the white ship with the the, the two things on the back that go that one. You know, um, or which which your whichever pick a ship. Your mileage may vary. Whichever one you prefer, I'll allow it. Anyway, so. I am, I told you I was on tonight. I warned you. I warned, you were warned. You had, you had like a, a, a signal buoy that was blasting out a, a warning signal to tell you, go no further. I, this is on you if you choose to proceed. Anyway. Are you all right? Anyway, so I, I will attempt to make that worth your while because I have some news some Star Trek news to report here at the top of the pod. Report. And so let's start out with something. Th th let's start out with the headline. The one that James in particular is going to absolutely love to hear. And that is that in a recent interview with Entertainment Tonight, one, Jordy LeVar Burton LaForge announced, well, not announced, but he was kind of coerced into admitting reluctantly that... He is all but confirmed to be appearing in a, a, a future incarnation of Star Trek Picard. So, you know, we were hoping that we would get... He said, honestly, he, he said, yeah, we're all going to wind up showing up at some point. So that was nice to see. And so, obviously, he is one of our beloved characters, James and myself. So it'll be great to see him again out there doing what he does, you know in the Federation and Starfleet, you know what Jordy LaForge does. He's the engineer who, you know, he's, he's not great with the ladies, but he's great with just about everything else. <laughs> uh, yeah. We're really excited about that. And, and we appreciate that uh, CBS all access actually listened to our podcast and, and took our, <laughs> took our advice. I found it unlikely. So very excited. We are influencers, Jay. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and hopefully they'll, they'll hear the, the last time, last time on Vintage Last Picard. time. On Vintage Picard. Thank you, sir. When we asked the fans who they would like to see return, and I mentioned uh, Chief O'Brien and you mentioned Garrick, because as you very well pointed out, that Deep Space Nine was not well represented nearly enough in, in Star Trek Picard. So, you think uh, line drop and quark one time is going to cut it? It shall not. Certainly not. That's right. <laughs> and, it's, uh, and yes, we always, in one of the earlier Vintage Picards, we mentioned how much we loved the character 
Jordy LaForge and obviously the actor LeVar Burton too. So really excited to hear that and something extra to look forward to in season two of Star Trek Picard. You know, just real quick, one last thing on the LeVar Burton front. There was a really nice photo that came out. It was an on-set photo from the episode where uh, Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis guested on the show. And it looks like uh, LeVar Burton and Michael Dorn stopped by the set for that shoot. So the bunch of them were all hanging out together and it looked like they were having the time of their lives. Excellent. That's really exciting to hear. And and also, too, for uh, an entertainment part of it, I'm curious to see how Jordy's going to cope without Data. I know that Data sacrificed himself, but as Star Trek Picard ended, Data officially went up to Android Heaven. So I'm just <laughs> curious to see how, um, how Jordy's going to be affected by that because they were such dear, good friends. And he's flying a shuttle to heaven i want you to stop this immediately my apologies to led zeppelin data and really just everybody for that but i mean if anybody could help bring data back it would be the great Jordy laforge so we'll see if there's going to be any repercussions about that yeah yeah well we, we we shall see in fact speaking of season two so we learned that it was scheduled to begin shooting this summer, this summer of 2020, unfortunately, due to the current pandemic where everything is shut down, it is likely that that is going to have to be pushed back. So we do not have a projected date for that. But, you know, I guess the idea originally, and I'm just speculating here, but I would think the idea would have been to debut season two around the same time that season one debuted in January. So I assume maybe the new drop date will be January plus however long this thing sets us back. So really, we still don't know anything, but we have an idea of what it was supposed to be and maybe we can extrapolate. We'll see. Also, along the lines of season two, so Patrick Stewart was asked, given the current situation and the inclination of Star Trek to address current events in their way, Patrick Stewart was asked if he would like to see a pandemic storyline come to season two of Star Trek Picard. And he pretty emphatically said no. He, he said, it's, you know, the stuff that we do tends to be more political and this pandemic affects so many people so closely and so strongly and so severely that he didn't think it would be appropriate. He thought that, you know, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't serve to take their minds off of it. Rather, it would serve to focus them on really how bad their their circumstances actually were. So, you know, he, he respectfully declined for something like that. However, Akiva Goldsman, who is one of the uh, executive producers, I believe, of the show and the person who directed the finale, the, the last two episodes, the final two parter of, the, of season one, he didn't say, yeah, we are going to do it. But he said, you know, I thought about it and I thought it would be interesting to write a captain's log Admiral. that Admiral Picard might give in this type of situation to address it. So I have that right here. He, he actually he was good enough to transcribe it. And so I will I will do the same for you. And uh, I, I'll try to put on my best Admiral Picard here, but. You know, I'm no Patrick Stewart. Obviously. So you'll forgive me if, if I'm not quite up to his par. But uh, 
This is how it would go. Admiral's Log The quarantine stretches on. Essential systems continue to fail, and though many of us are used to long periods of isolation, the prohibition on physical contact, not to mention our inability to leave the ship, is beginning to wear on even the most seasoned members of the crew. Remote communication flourishes. Still, I am reminded that there is no substitute for a direct gaze or the reassurance of a friendly touch. I am emboldened by the crew's resilience. Despite the hardship, they continue to work their stations. Productivity and routine can be an excellent balm on fear. And fear they do. How could they otherwise? The threat we face is real, with no immediate end in sight. But that does not make it endless. On the contrary, this period of darkness will end as surely as it began. Fear will fade to memory. We will survive stronger, perhaps more aware of the profound connections we have always shared. And a time will come when we once again right this ship and sail forward together into the future, that bright unknown. And scene. <laughs> that is not who I am. So, yeah, Patrick Stewart, I ain't. No, that's quite true. But uh, that that is what was written, you know, in, to to hypothetically go in his mouth. Yeah, and another good point, too, which I'm definitely on Sir Patrick Stewart's side, is that when you're talking about traveling throughout the galaxy, that mm. you can, okay, if there's a pandemic on Earth or on that planet or this planet, you can just fly away and avoid it. Sure. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's Star Trek. They could come up with something. Yeah, I hear but... you. <laughs> Especially on the 5150, that just has an endless array of rooms and levels and such mm -hmm. indeed that's true yeah i i can't argue with that that is it is it is a magical mystical ship that you know it is ship of plenty wherein anything is possible it's like it's like willy wonka's own personal conveyance i think oh that's right yeah with the the thingamabobber where you use oh, your that's imagination right. uh-huh come with me and you'll be with a tool of laziness creation Take that, COVID-19. This is foolish. Okay, anyway. So, la last thing, last bit of news, and it's not news per se, but I discovered this as I get most of my Star Trek news from uh, trekmovies.com, and they put up an article highlighting something that a clever YouTuber is doing for the Star Trek universe. He's, he's I guess, starting, one assumes, with the Star Trek The Next Generation, but there is plenty of room to branch out to other series if he so chooses. And that is, uh, the channel is called Ryan's Edits, and he's doing something called Star Trek Intakes. Basically, what he's doing is he's taking scenes from Star Trek The Next Generation, and he's editing the outtakes from those scenes from the blooper reel back in. So, he's he, like, there's one per video that he puts up, and it's as if the outtake from that scene was actually in the show instead of uh, instead of being cut out because it was not meant to be. So, you know, it, it made me chuckle, especially the first one made me chuckle. So they're, they're numbered. So you'll know which one the first one is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, go go check that out if you have some time. And I think at this point, most of us have some time. So, you know. Finally, before we move on to the main event of this podcast, I just want to do one last thing, and that is to call out a callback 
that I meant to mention in the last episode and neglected to do so. And that is specifically when Jonathan Frakes, well, Jonathan Frakes playing William Thomas Riker, when he shows up to save the day at Capalius with his fleet of magical Federation Starfleet warships, when he comes to, to in the nick of time to save Admiral Picard, that to me was a clear callback to the scene in All Good Things where Picard and, and Dr. Beverly Picard, Captain, Captain Beverly Picard, mm-hmm. excuse me, uh, are getting pummeled by Klingons and Admiral Riker shows up with a cloaked Enterprise D and messes some people up and rescues them. So it, it was, for me, that was, that was a nice echo of that scene. But Gary, you may be asking, that was last week. Last week, you tied a neat bow on the first season of Star Trek Picard. What's left? What's left indeed? Well, as we mentioned last week, we are going to be going forward for the time being. What we are going to do now that the season is over and the next season is in a bit of limbo, what we're going to do is we're going to go back and we're going to revisit some key episodes of Star Trek. I imagine most of them will be from the next generation, given that it is Star Trek Picard and that was his incarnation of Star Trek. You can follow the logic there. Yes, of course. So you don't have to be a Vulcan to figure that one out. <laughs> so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to cherry pick episodes of Star Trek that play a key foundational role, a key background role to the events that play out in Star Trek Picard. So we are going to review those episodes as if we were reviewing a regular episode of Picard. It'll be the same format, more or less, with a little more analysis because we have that, you know, hindsight of, oh, well, this is what happened in Picard. So we know what ties into what, point that stuff out. And we are going to start with an episode that is, well, it's something that James and I agreed was the the absolute perfect episode to start with because of the impact that it has on the, you know, the very premise of Star Trek Picard and how that season evolved. And uh, it it is something that is widely held as one of the best episodes, not only of Star Trek The Next Generation, but of any incarnation of Star Trek. And that is going to be, surprisingly, from Star Trek The Next Generation Season 2, Episode 9, The Measure of a Man. Excellent. So we begin, well, we begin as we always do with a captain's log, but uh, that just lays out the exposition for the basically the setup for this episode. It, it just explains why gives us an excuse to be where we are and why this episode is, is happening. And, and essentially they are visiting a brand new Starbase, Starbase 173, which has newly opened. They're making a port call, taking on some crew and supplies and just, you know, hanging out as you do when you're, when you're the flagship of the Federation. And uh, so we start the episode properly with the very first appearance in Star Trek The Next Generation of the poker game. Why is this so important to you? And this is an interesting round of poker because it, well, first it's kind of introducing us to the game of poker on the show. So there's a lot of, oh, this is how poker works. Oh, this is, 
this is why you, you think it's going to be one thing, but it's not. You know, Data Data is learning the game. He's He thinks, oh, well, if you have the best hand, then you place the highest bet, and that's how it works. Apparently, in all of his vast readings on poker, he's examined texts and, and thinks he has a thorough comprehension of how the game is played. Apparently, none of those texts ever bothered to mention what a bluff was, which <laughs> sounds entirely plausible. But um, I guess uh, that's that's <laughs> I'm I'm nitpicking already. I'm nitpicking one of the greatest episodes of Star Trek in the history of the franchise. As you always do. So, oh, see, I don't discriminate. <laughs> I can find something to grouse about in anything. Yes, I believe that. But that really is an excellent point. <laughs> like reading a book about baseball and not knowing what a curveball is or something, you know, mm -hmm. it's pretty integral to the game, but yes, yeah. we understand. And, and again, what we were trying to say about uh, the flaws that we found in, in Star Trek Picard was sometimes they just need, because it's an hour show, they have to progress the, uh, the plot and, and hearken back to certain things. So that's just a little, a little loophole there, but um, I didn't really pick up on that to tell you the truth. So interestingly, this is not the typical crew of people who will play poker for the rest of the series. Since this is the, the prototypical scene, the, the very early version, the B4 of poker nice. scenes on Star Trek The Next Generation, the assemblage that we have is Data, of course, because we just mentioned him, Commander Riker, Jordy LaForge, Dr. Pulaski, and Chief O'Brien. Yeah. I would have loved to see Pulaski. I can take or leave, but chief O'Brien, I would have loved to see become a staple of those games. Uh, frankly, I feel like we didn't get enough of Colin Meany on that show, but you know, he did get to shine on deep space nine. So if we had gotten more of him on next generation, if he had become a main cast member, we probably wouldn't have gotten that in the other shows. So I guess I'm okay with it. Interestingly, Interesting factoid that I learned reading Memory Alpha, which is basically Star Trek Wikipedia, if you're not familiar. And uh, so this scene, the poker scene, was not the writer's first choice for what this scene was supposed to be. The original intent of this scene was supposed to be data learning to swim. What, I know. What kind of budget did they have? Not enough to make data swim. That's exactly why it became poker. So, okay, <laughs> James, so we dodged a little bit of a bullet. I think the series could have gone in a very different direction if this had been dated learning to swim. I would like you to imagine an alternate future. And this is actually appropriate given where I'm going. I would like you to imagine an alternate future in which the last scene of all good things is Captain Picard. Instead of <laughs> uh, sitting around the table saying, uh, Five card stud, nothing wild. And the sky's the limit. I would like you to envision the scene where the final shot of Star Trek The Next Generation is Captain Picard getting up on the diving board in his sparkly <laughs> trunks yelling, Cannonball! <laughs> I, you know, I can't, I, I can't foresee the future. Uh, I'm, I'm no genius. Uh, I don't know for certain, but I suspect that would have slightly less impact, less lasting impact than the, the scene that we did get. I should have done this a long time ago. We. Oh. <laughs> 
before we continue that that that's excellent and uh i'm I'm sorry that the drama took over and, and they ended up with a heart-wrenching ending as opposed to a ridiculous one as you just portrayed but to tie things in with uh star trek uh, terry farrell of all people uh, she starred in a movie called uh, back to school with rodney dangerfield and mm-hmm. so this is six degrees of kevin bacon if you will and was in he that, in that movie no, as well? No, he was. No, he wasn't. But oh, okay, um, the connection with Terry Farrell and, and the Star Trek world goes to. And, and now that you have uh, swimming involved, was mm-hmm. Rodney Dangerfield did the triple Lindy in that movie? Ah. So there's a little, a little uh, roundabout nonsense, which you should probably edit out before you upload this podcast. <laughs> what is going on here? Oh, James, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling slappy tonight. So anything goes. But uh, sadly, we will never get that scene. What we will get in the next scene of this episode, yes, we're only on the second scene of the episode, (laughs) is uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard. He is kind of hanging out in the lounge of Starbase 173, I guess their version of 10 Forward, sitting, drinking a cup of tea by himself, by his lonesome, when from across the room, he espies... Captain Philippa Louvois, and he is completely bowled over, taken aback, and he he gets up and walks over to her, and, and we find out that they have history. We don't know exactly what it is yet, but they definitely have a past, and we get the impression that Picard would like to both kill her and kiss her, <laughs> in that order, apparently, which uh, says some things about Picard's character that I don't think I'm fully prepared to explore, but that that's not... That's neither here nor there. They make serious accusations against you. Um, and and so so we get uh, we get ain't love grand into theme, which oh, every time, even all these years later, every time I hear that theme song, no matter what I'm doing, I just have to stop and enjoy it. But uh, so on the other side of that theme, we get a little more sense of who this Philippa Louvois, who is so thoroughly gobsmacked, our beloved Captain Picard, is. She is, in fact, the new Judge Advocate General. She is appointed as the, the new JAG officer in the sector. She has no staff except a scared little ensign, apparently. And so we also discover that she has recently returned to Starfleet after leaving. And in her mind, being forced out. Now, James, I mentioned this back when we were reviewing star trek picard but i want to revisit this because this is the first plot point that i think ties in very closely to star trek picard that is namely i contended then and even more now after having rewatched this episode this character philippa louvois should have been clancy this should have been the admiral that Picard goes back to at Starfleet Command when he's asking for a ship to go on the mission to find Soji. Like, she would have been perfect. The history that they have, and we'll get more into the history, you know, over the course of the episode, we'll, we'll find out, uh, well, actually... We don't have to wait that long because we find out that she was responsible for bringing then Captain Picard up on court-martial charges for the loss of the Stargazer. So that was, you know, that almost cost him his career. And so, I, you know, it also seems like they have some kind of romantic history, which, and, and 
you know, setting all of that aside, they have incredible chemistry. So I think the parallel of her having been in her mind forced out of Starfleet and 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 then, you know, tried to come back. Gee, I wonder if they could have found anything, mm-hmm. any way to tie that into Picard's situation upon coming back to Starfleet after basically quitting in protest of of what he saw them as as having, you know, done. I I I can't imagine if there could have been any threads there that they could have pulled on to make it more interesting. Like I'm I'm sorry, I'm not saying that the actress who played Clancy did a bad job. She acted the scenes that were written for her and that's fine, but it would have been so much better with this character. Like it's not even it's not even a contest. No, you've already stated your point and, and flawlessly logical, by the way, and it, it makes total sense and it would work so well, especially with Maddox and all that too. And uh, your, your points are definitely case closed, but there's one more point that you will get to, which just absolutely nails it open and shut case. So I, I agree with you hundred percent, especially when I, I also rewatched a measure of a man. And that's what went off in my head too. I, I heard your words when you were talking about that particular episode of, uh, of Star Trek Picard and it just made total sense and it really hit home. And it, we were saying how much we love that kind of stuff with the ties into the next generation series and all that. So it was just a little bit too perfect. So I, again, we don't know what happened uh, if there were uh, scheduling problems or financial problems or whatever the case was that they couldn't go with that actor or at least character is all beyond us. But uh, Gary, you just absolutely nailed it from top to bottom. I couldn't agree with you more. That's enough. You made your point. But so there's there's still plenty of episode to get to. We'll, we'll get there. So from there, we find Admiral Nakamura, a a you know fairly recurring admiral in and and somewhat beloved admiral in in Star Trek: The Next Generation, and he strolls over and he introduces Captain Picard to Commander Bruce Maddox. Remember that name. It's going to come up later. I realize that. (laughs) Commander Bruce Maddox, who is in this case played by a different actor, you may remember from the one who played him in Star Trek Picard or or would wind up playing him in Star Trek Picard. But uh, so this fairly young looking Bruce Maddox, remember that also, (laughs) he comes over and he, he, you know, he's introduced and Nakamura tells Picard, oh, you know, Commander Maddox has an interesting proposal that I think you're going to want to hear. And he's like, but first, I would love to see the bridge of your ship. So to the ship they go. And up on the Enterprise bridge, Admiral Nakamura, he, he says, uh, you know, every ship that has been named Enterprise for the last 500 years has made history. And I'm sure this ship will be no different. Or... uh you know, I guess, as Captain Picard would say a little more eloquently a season later. Let's make sure history never forgets the name Enterprise. And so, uh, anyway, as he's leaving, he casually tosses off. Oh, by the way, Maddox is here to work on your android. Take care of him. <laughs> he go, what? Excuse- <laughs> I'm sorry. Time out. Can I can I just get that again that there's you need to you're going to need to explain that one. I would appreciate a more detailed explanation. But no, I guess Nakamura has a place to be. So 
So they just, you know, leave that hanging. But we do discover then that, in fact, Commander Maddox and Data have some prior history. The Data is, of course, the android to which Nakamura... How many androids do we think that the Enterprise crew have? I mean, you know, come on. So Data, Data has history with Commander Maddox. In fact, Commander Maddox, Bruce Maddox, was 24 years prior, allegedly... He was the only person on the Starfleet Academy Board of Admissions to deny Data's application for Starfleet Academy on the grounds that Data was not a sentient being. Now, that's fine for the plot of the episode, but in that case, I contest the casting of Bruce Maddox because I know that medicine is great in the future, but there's no way that guy was on the Academy Board of Admissions 24 years prior to this episode. <laughs> Unless, like, he was Doogie Hauser. Who is that? Uh, you know, Starfleet. Like, it, it doesn't fly. It doesn't work. He couldn't have been 10, 14 years old? No, that, no. I find it unlikely. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. So, the last thing we learn is that the reason he's there is because he wants to disassemble data. Dun, dun, dun! We retire to the observation lounge for further clarification on that. And uh, we, we discover that ever since the encounter with Data at the Academy, Bruce Maddox has been fascinated by Data. He has, in fact, made himself a student of Dr. Noonien Sung's work. And, in fact, he's trying to replicate that work so that he can have Data's all over Starfleet. You know, for the, just for the betterment of, of the Federation, really. He wants to make his own positronic androids, but to do that, he needs data because he's not smart enough to figure it out on his own, so he needs to cheat by looking at the answer key. So um, he, he, he starts to explain what his process is. Data's initially intrigued by what he plans to do, and so he starts asking him some questions. Oh, well, how did you figure out this glaring problem that most people run into? Well, I'm working on it. I'm pretty sure I'll be able to figure that out. Data immediately gets skeptical, like, listen, uh, I'm sure this guy has good intentions, but he gonna kill me. (laughs) And uh, so, I mean, he doesn't say it exactly like that, but, you know, that's the gist. So, um, Picard... Captain! Excuse me, Captain Picard. (laughs) Captain Jean-Luc Picard. He says, uh, you know what? In light of the fact that you're clearly pretty incompetent, I'm going to have to say this is a no. And, uh, and Maddox is like, I will see your no and raise you some transfer orders. Bam, data works for me now. Report tomorrow. And uh, that brings us to commercial. So on the other side of that commercial break, we find ourselves in Jean-Luc Picard's ready room. And so... First off, he, he calls in Data. He, he calls him in to discuss the situation. And kind of the first thing that hit me from that scene, especially on the heels of watching Star Trek Picard, is that Picard clearly has great affection, even now in the second season of The Next Generation. Picard really has great affection for Data and, and everything he's done for the ship and for him as a person and the love and respect, well, I don't know if it's love yet, but the, the respect and admiration that he has for Data in this scene is obvious, which is why I think it, it's really, it plays really oddly 
because so the way the scene unfolds is Picard explains to Data, well, you know, Maddox really wants to do this. And frankly, I have to consider the interests of Starfleet here. So like in the last scene, it was an adamant no, definitely not. And now it's, well, you know, sometimes you got to take your medicine. That's just how it works. I don't understand his flippant attitude towards Data's well-being. Like, it's suddenly flipped like a switch. It just seems a little out of character for Picard. I mean, I can see him feeling a duty to having to follow orders, at least before he thinks it through fully, but he's very casual about the way he throws Data to the wolves here, or at least starts to. So I I just, it played really oddly. It was like, I don't know if it was the writing or the direction, but it just seemed strange to me. And then Data kind of drops the hammer on him and he says, well, here's the deal. Jordy's visor allows him to see a lot more efficiently and, and, and spectacularly than human eyes. Why aren't humans then required to have ocular implants surgically installed in the place of their regular, boring, stupid human eyes. I mean, again, that's the gist. And uh, would, would, would you force somebody to do that? And, and, and Picard's like, and Data's like, yeah, I get it. It's because I'm not actually human. So, you know, I see how this is going. You don't have to tell me. I understand how this works. And then Picard immediately has it, like, again, like a, another switch has been flipped. He dismisses Data very curtly, and then he gets his grumpy face on and goes over to his little uh, laptop before laptops existed, and he starts, you know, feverishly researching the precedent for transfer orders and, and, and how they work and a way to get around them. Bam! Cut to Starbase 173. Jean-Luc Picard goes barging into Louvois's office, and he needs her help. She is the person who can help him in this situation. This transfer order must be stopped and he cannot make hide nor hair of this gobbledygook. So she must tell him the way to get it done. And she's like, well, that's just how it works. Sometimes we get orders that we don't like. And he's like, no, I will not accept that. And they kind of have a, a tense little back and forth. And he's like, so you're telling me there's no option? She's like, well, there's always an option. What is the option? <laughs> and she's like, well, he can resign. Data can resign. And then he will not have to follow the transfer order. And Picard's like, okay, fine. You know, and, and, and then, and then Louvois, then she kind of sticks her foot in her mouth. She's like, I'm glad you felt like you could come to me on this. And he's like, well, who else was I going to come to? You are the jag in this sector. You're the only one here. And, you know, she's like, well, well I, I didn't, I didn't I mean it like that. I just, I just, I meant, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and, you know, she's, she's like, I'm, I'm glad you, you felt you could, I mean, uh, and he's like, you just, you, you can't say trust. You, you cannot say the word trust, can you? <laughs> But one key thing that does come up in the exchanges between Picard and Louvois, and and again, to, to your point, James, this would have been one more absolutely perfect, the perfect tie-in thematically between this 
and the scene or scenes really in Star Trek Picard is that Louvois calls him out for his arrogance in expecting that he will be able to just dictate the terms of the situation. Gee, where else has a Starfleet admiral to which Picard has gone for help called him out for being an arrogant, presumptuous, well, word that I can't say on this podcast? <laughs> I can't imagine. I will have to, I will have to strain and, 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 scour the depths of my memory to come up with a situation where that might possibly have occurred previously. You finished? And ironically, as this episode is all about uh, court and uh, proving and disproving and things like that, it just really, it's unbelievable. I'm curious though, because as you pointed out too, in one of the earlier versions of Vintage Picard, that that character uh, was basically based on Louvois. So it just seems... I would love to know the explanation of that. If, if the producers can explain that or the writers, if there was, that's what they were going for. And then at the last second, they just decided to change the character's name in, in, in Star Trek Picard. I don't know, because other than that, it just really lines up perfectly with exactly what you've been saying all this time. I should want an answer to that. Yeah, I mean, let me be clear. I never actually outright said that the character was based on Louvois. But what I said was that the way that the character was constructed and the way that they interacted, she would have been perfect for that role because it lines up given their history. And I think I think if you have not already accepted that, I hope that given what we've laid out here and now, you will agree with us that she would have been the perfect choice for the Clancy character. I hope that's true. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna beat this horse until it it's dust, James. Oh, for God's sake. But like can you imagine, obviously, the first scene where we see Clancy with that back and forth when Picard first comes in asking for the ship. Obviously, the fireworks that could have ensued there, I think, are obvious, which is why I said obviously, because obvious is obvious. Obviously. And I think I'm... I think I've fallen into that thing that they were going to introduce into the Borg in iBorg to try and uh, create like a fatal recursive loop and bring down the entire Borg culture. I think that's what's going on in my brain right now. So I apologize. I think I need a reboot. I see. Uh, do you think this would interfere with your duties? But uh, I, I, honest to God, I do not even remember what I was talking about. I'm deeply concerned about what is happening here. Clancy and... Uh... Yeah, okay, right. Thank you. So, yes, I think you we can all imagine how that first scene would have gone, but take the second scene. The the scene where, you know, Picard is is giving his I told you so's and Clancy basically tells him, "Shut up. I agree with you. You're going to get what you want. Also, shut up." Can you imagine how much more fun that scene would have been with this character? Yes, sir. Completely, yes. Yeah. I, I, it's just such a missed opportunity. All right, I'm going to move on now. But I, I, the more I just, I can't understand why they wouldn't have, they would have needed a, an incredibly good reason not to have gone this route to me. That's, that's all. I wish I could believe that. So in the next scene, I am moving on. In the next scene, we go to Data's quarters, presumably Data's quarters. I mean, they, they change a little bit over the course of the series, but it, you know, 
based on the circumstances, it seems like it is Data's quarters. So Data is packing in this little, like, futuristic Federation duffel bag thing that, that has these hatch things on top. It, 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 it's cute. It's adorable. It reminds me a little bit of the, the kind of futuristic duffel bag in Back to the Future 2. What is that object? As it happens, but it's not exactly the same. So, and this obviously predates Back to the Future 2. Uh, or does it? It's, uh, it, yes. no, you know what? It's contemporary, I think. When, when did Back to the Future 2 come out? Uh, I believe Back to the Future 2 and 3 were released in 90 because they had to okay. film them both simultaneously because of yeah. Michael J. Fox's um, schedule. So this, so this episode would have aired around the same time. It would have been roughly contemporaneous, which is an interesting little thing. Uh, yeah, real quick. Yeah, Back to the Future original was 85 and then uh, sure. Next Generation premiered in 87. So season two was around 88, 87. Uh, excuse me. Um, was it Was it season... Was it 80... Uh, yeah. Yeah, 87, 88, and then 88, 87, 89. 88, yeah. yeah. All right. So you're absolutely okay, right, so, yeah. Okay. Anyway, not not important. Agreed. <laughs> I'm getting bogged down in weeds that don't even begin to... Both of it. This is getting us nowhere. Okay. So Data's packing, and uh, he he kind of, you know, he packs uh, some things that are very important to him. The, the hollow cube containing Tasha Yar's final message from, from when she died. Her, I guess, last will and testament kind of message. And then uh, some some book that has relevance to him, his Starfleet medals. You know, he's, he's packing all this stuff. He steps away for a few minutes and in barges Bruce Maddox. No, no chime, no knock at the door, no nothing. He just walks in, picks up Data's stuff and starts thumbing through. He's like, oh, this is interesting. And Data, Data walks over. He's like, um, excuse you. I think it's customary to like knock before you come into somebody's quarters. And Maddox... I mean, he doesn't outright say it, but I'm sure what we're given to understand is that he doesn't think of Data as a person, so he doesn't think he needs to observe those niceties. And uh, so the reason Maddox is there is he wants to take one last... What? This doesn't have to be hostile. This doesn't have to go down this way. I Can't you just understand what I'm trying to do? Look... Just hand yourself over to be disassembled and picked apart. This'll all be fine. And Data Data respectfully disagrees. And I do want to call out one more kind of uh, thing that, that I saw as an, a forward echo to Star Trek Picard. And that is that the procedure that he is going to undertake as described seems to be that he is going to take Data's memories and experiences and upload them into a computer. And Data really doubts his ability to do that. <laughs> he, he thinks, uh, yeah, I don't think your techniques are there yet. I don't think that's going to work out so well for me. He says, you know, he lacks the, the skill, the panache to reproduce the ineffable qualities of, of his essence, essentially. A lot of those words were used, not all of them, but that's the gist of it. And uh, I, I, you know, given what we know about where Data's personality and memories and, and essence wind up in Star Trek Picard in that simulation and who probably worked on that simulation, especially given what Alton Inigo Sung talks about how he was the body man and, and Maddox handled all the cognitive stuff. You know, it's it's a nice little touch there to think that 
yeah, at this point in his career, Maddox was not able to do that, but eventually he will be. Agreed. That was, yes, absolutely. That was a nice little, maybe kind of a challenge and would make sense that that would stick in his mind and something that I think the writers, to their credit, that was a very good pickup and something, again, along the lines of uh, like Wrath of Khan, where when they made that movie, they were going back to the original series episode of Space Seed and things. So I love that stuff when the writers really care enough to look at it, some sort of detail or two, which is why we're so adamant about the character of uh, Lavoie. Yes, you have said that. But uh, it always works out so well. And, and it's always like, oh, wow, you know, and that really makes it feel very realistic mm-hmm. and uh, well thought out. Yeah. So Maddox says to Data, look, you know, I had hoped we could do this the easy way, but frankly, it's all moot. You have been transferred under my command. I own you. So I will see you tomorrow. And Data is like, actually, funny story. You do not own me. I resigned. So, you know, I, I will not see you tomorrow. In fact, I am going home, wherever home is. He has no home, really, as far as I know. But that's that's not touched upon. It's uh, Data's like, you know, and I don't want you to think this is vanity. Because it's, it's, it's not, it's not vanity. It's the principle of the thing. I was the product of one man's dream. I was the product of Dr. Noonien Sung's life work. And I am unique and special. And if you screw up, which let's be honest, you're going to screw this up. Then I cease to exist and the universe loses something special. So, you know, really... That's the issue here. I am preserving Sung's dream. So since I am resigning, you're not going to get your hands on me. And Maddox is like, well, you know, that's something to think about. But uh, I would like to leave you with a vague threat. So one way or the other, you will be mine. Oh, yes, you will be mine. Bye. (laughs) And uh, he... He leaves off that last one. Um, obviously. <laughs> Bye. Um, and, and we go into commercial. He, he, he pieces out into commercial. And so, oh boy. We're, what are we? We're, we're almost an hour into this thing already? Yeah. We're halfway through this episode. Okay. So, on the other side of the commercial, Jean-Luc Picard, Bruce Maddox, and Philippe Livoire now, you know, I bet in that context, I bet Bruce Maddox feels a little slighted that he doesn't have an extravagant French name. Yeah, like Madouo or something. Yes, yes. Bruce Madouo. <laughs> Bruce. Bruce is not French. Jacques Madou. <laughs> How dare you? Um, okay. Oh. Okay. Uh, Focus. Let's focus here for a minute. It's imperative. So the three of them are arguing in her office and they are arguing, Maddox specifically, that, look, Data is not a sentient being. Okay? There's no reason why we should be treating him as if he has rights and choice here. Okay? He's like, look, think of the upside. This is what I'm trying to do. Data is special because he's not a real person. You don't have to worry about his safety. Imagine every ship in the fleet 
having a data that they could send into dangerous situations and not have to worry about endangering an actual person. Think of the benefits here. And Picard is like, listen, data has rights. You can't just treat him like he's disposable. And Maddox contests data's stupid rights should not have the ability to infringe on my life's work. His right to exist is not more important than my right to do what I want, essentially. And Picard is like, are you daft, man? Starfleet does not work that. Where do you think you are? Commander, who do you think you're working for? Starfleet is not an organization that ignores its own regulations when they become inconvenient. And so Maddox is like, okay, hold that thought. I'm talking to you. And, and, and he addresses Louvois. He's like, listen, think of it this way. If the computer's core refused a refit, would you allow that to happen? He is clearly property, right? He is the property of Starfleet. And she's like, well, maybe. Uh, there might be legal precedent for this. Uh, it's a valid argument. And Picard is like, well, if you think there's legal precedent, you better be able to find it because this is too important to just summarily dismiss. And so uh, we, we cut then to 10 forward where Data's having a little quiet going away gathering with some friends. Wesley is there. I think that's his only scene in the episode. I'm not complaining. Worf too. I'm a little more disappointed about that. So uh, Wesley's there, Worf. Uh, Troy and Riker are there and you know, they're, they're Pulaski for some reason they Pulaski and data had, had a very adversarial relationship. I honestly, I think now that I look back on it, I really think they were trying to replicate the bone Spock relationship with Pulaski and data in that second season. It didn't work. No, not exactly. I think there's a reason she only lasted one season, but that's neither here nor there. So they have a cute little moment where Data doesn't want to rip wrapping paper for reasons. And, it, you know, it's fine. But then we notice that Jordy is sitting off at a table all by himself, playing with some component of some sort, just kind of lost in thought. Clearly not very happy. So Data goes over and he's like, hey, listen. We'll still be buds, right? We're still cool. And he's like, yeah, I guess. You're just It's not fair that you're letting this happen to you. It's not right, man. And Data's like, yeah, but, you know, all right. Then I guess. So, honestly, I think they could have done a little more with that scene, but it was a pretty, pretty packed show. So I understand why they didn't. But I would have liked to see a little more between the two of them, because even even in season two, you can see that there is real love there between Jordy and Data. And obviously we would get to explore that relationship a little more as the series went on. But it would have been nice to get a, a few more lines, a few more minutes of this scene to, to really kind of build it out and, and hammer home the stakes. Well, that's a good point, too. They easily could have done without the wrapping paper thing and gone a little <laughs> bit more with, with uh, the, the significance, especially if you're trying to prove that uh, Data is a sentient being and, and has rights, that would just really hit it to home that he has feelings, in, in a sense, of, of friendship and, and dedication and understanding of, of being with human beings and to have a personality where 
you get along specifically with someone because that's how we have friends. It's similar thoughts and, and uh, ways of, of thinking and, and, and how you act and stuff. So that absolutely, that would have been a nice little, I don't know, um, reinforcement of what data is all about. Yeah. But unfortunately we don't get that scene. What we do get is a scene, another scene in Louvois office, specifically with uh, her informing Jean-Luc Picard and for some reason, commander Riker that she has decided the ruling is that data is in fact property. She found a ruling from way back in the 20th century or whatever. And, and she thinks that applies here. So, uh, wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. He belongs to us now. And so, you know, this matter is closed and Picard is like, well, you know, what would happen? Let's just say if, uh, I decided I did not like that ruling or agree with it. And, uh, you know what, just for laughs, what, what might happen in that case? And she's like, well, I, I guess you could challenge the ruling and, and, uh, you know, I, I'd have to have a hearing and he's like, done. So challenged. I am so challenging that ruling. And she's like, you can't do, I don't have a staff. There's no way to hold a hearing. Like, what do you, I, I, I just, I can't do it. And he's like, well, figure it out. And she's like, okay, well, I guess there's a rule that says if you don't have a proper staff, then the senior officer, which would be you, Captain Picard, would be the defense attorney. And then the second most senior officer, which conveniently is you, Commander Riker, he would be the prosecutor in this case. How convenient. And Riker is like, Oh, I'm sorry. You were talking to me? No, no, no. That, that's I can't. I couldn't possibly. So, see the the problem. The problem here is that the the prosecutor has to prove that Data isn't a real person and uh, he's not a sentient being. And since you know, I don't actually believe that. I am not your guy. I'm I'm gonna take a hard pass. Thank you for the offer, but I'm gonna have to pass on this one. And she's like, "Okay, cool. Then I rule summarily. No hearing. Data is." A toaster. <laughs> and Riker's like, what, 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 hold on, hold on, hang on, let's not be hasty. Look, I, I know I said I wouldn't do it, but when I said I wouldn't do it, of course I meant I will definitely do it. So uh, he, he, he very reluctantly opts to be the prosecutor for this trial. And she's like, okay, well, that's cool, but no monkey business like... If you're doing it, I expect you to do it. Because if I see that you are not giving your all to the persecution and prosecution of this machine thing, then the trial is immediately declared over and he goes with Maddox. All right. <laughs> Sad trombone. <laughs> well done. Very appropriate. That's what I figured. <laughs> So back to the ready room, Picard summons Data and he's like, Data, I have something to tell you. You have, in fact, been uh, ruled as property and your transfer order is is mandatory. You, you cannot resign. You belong to Maddox now. And Data's like, well, ain't that a thing? Well, hopefully he's not quite as incompetent as we all think. Eh, it was fun. And Picard's like, what, wait, wait, go, this isn't, you're not actually doing this. We are fighting this. So, you know, get ready. Cause we're getting ready to rumble on this thing elsewhere. 
we see a reluctant Commander Riker researching data to, to I guess, determine his weak points in order to highlight them to make his case that Data is not the sentient being that he believes him to be. So uh, it's 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 a it's a heck of a situation that Riker finds himself in. It is, I would say, unenviable. Oh yes, it is. And uh, so then we 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 get to the hearing, the main event. We get to the hearing, a set which uh, the hearing room uh, looks to me suspiciously like the battle bridge of the Enterprise. But uh, I'm sure that is pure coincidence. And so, to to start it off, the prosecutor. One commander, William T. Johnny Frakes, calls Data to the stand and as his first and, as it would turn out, only witness. And so I guess as part of the standard procedure, when somebody in this setting takes the stand, they get up there and they stipulate that they are, in fact, such and such person. And then the computer automatically reads off their service record essentially and so it starts to read off all of these medals and awards that data has won in the course of his career and riker's like yeah 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 yeah. we don't need to hear that and picard is like objection actually i would like very much to hear this and so we find out how many really uh a impressive awards data has won over the course of his Starfleet career. You hit it on the head there too, uh, Gary. Then I like that there was a callback to the original series in the first season of the original series, that uh, episode Court Martial, where Captain Kirk was put on the stand and they went through he and, and Mr. Spock's uh, accolades and, and, and as well as um, Dr. McCoy. So I kind of like that as a callback too. So as we were giving credit to um, Star Trek Picard, having callbacks to Next Generation, I liked how Next Generation had a callback to the original series in that aspect too. And that was a key point that I'm glad that Captain Picard said, hey, let's hear his career highlights because it just helps Picard and Data too. So that was a nice, very nice touch. Oh yeah, it's continuity all the way down on this show. So Data does in fact get up on the stand, the the things are read, and then Riker starts his argument, which is essentially, listen, Data is property because... He is a machine. He was created by a human being. He is clearly super strong, which is something that human beings are not. He has parts which are removable, which in the normal course of events does not happen for us humans. And the most, I would say, dramatic of his contentions about Data is the fact that he can be turned off, which he illustrates by reaching behind Data and shutting him off, which doesn't seem like something you should be able to do to a person. Like, I mean, I get that that's kind of the crux of the entire argument here as to whether or not you can, but, you know, I assume the Federation has some variation of innocent until proven guilty, as we do here. So shouldn't you give him the benefit of the doubt on whether or not you're able to just reach up and end somebody's consciousness think about it yeah and that's also i guess maybe Riker did a little bit more hopefully did a lot more uh investigating on how mr data works because when you shut off a computer 
you better make sure that uh, it's going to start all over again and be just as good as it was when you shut it off. <laughs> yeah. You didn't lose any uh, memory or anything like that. Right. Well, we didn't see that scene of data rebooting once the <laughs> once the hearing is over. We we didn't get like the spinning windows logo <laughs> or whatever or the uh you know Hopefully he didn't have to do any software updates because those can take forever. And, uh, you know, as an, as a serving officer, he's got stuff to do. Although I guess if he's resigned his commission, then he has time. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting off on a very silly tangent for what is a very serious scene. That thought had passed through my mind. Because really the most dramatic part of that whole thing is after Data is summarily turned off, Riker turns to the courtroom and says, Pinocchio is broken. Its strings have been cut. And his argument is made pretty emphatically there. Although, while clearly the rest of the courtroom is impacted visibly by what he has said and and seems to be somewhat persuaded, it's a really nice touch that they cut to a quick shot of Riker after he says and does that, and you can see that he is very quietly disgusted with what he has said and done. And so a, a visibly shaken Picard requests a recess right into commercial. So on the other side of that commercial, we see the self-same shaken Picard, not stirred. He is in 10 forward, and it is, I guess, the middle of the night, although I don't know how that's really determined on a starship, but... uh a dark, empty ten forward, and he is seemingly alone with Guinan, and he's worried. He is spooked about how this trial, this hearing is going to go, because Riker made a very convincing argument. Even he was almost convinced. Even Picard himself was almost convinced upon listening to Riker. And so Guinan, she does her Guinan thing. She's like, well, you know, it may not be so bad. Because uh, imagine, imagine a whole fleet full of datas. You know, they're, they're disposable people. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen to them. They're just there at your beck and call to be able to do whatever dirty jobs you don't want to do. You don't have to worry about their well-being, their property. You can just use it and forget it. It's, you know, no muss, no fuss. Wouldn't that be great? And Picard is like, hang on. I'm pretty sure you're describing slavery. And Guinan's like, slaver? No, come on. That's a little extreme, don't you think? And Picard is like, no, I do not think. I think that is exactly what you're talking about. And and Guinan just kind of gives a, a, a knowing little smirk. And... She has, well, I was going to say unknowingly, but I'm sure she knew exactly what she was doing. So it wasn't unknowing, but she has unleashed the power of the Picard speech, James. She has unlocked Jean-Luc Picard's superpower and God help anyone within the blast radius of that thing. You're destroying yourself and anyone foolish enough to listen to you. (laughs) That's like the deflector beam weapon at the end of Best of Both Worlds Part 1, you know? <laughs> Mr. Worf, fire. That's what we're talking about here. Yes, it is true. So back in the hearing room. This is it, James. Last licks. This is the showdown at the OK Corral. This is where it's all decided. All This is for all the chips. 
See, I'm bringing it back to the poker game nice. at the beginning of the episode. That's a callback, James. I'm, that's that's what us pros do here on the podcasts. That's uh, it's a little <clears throat> it's a little narrative trick that we like to employ to 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 pull it all together. You see what I'm doing here? I'll take your word for it. Um. So so back in the hearing room, Data is once again called to the stand. This time by Captain Jean Luc Picard, and Picard says, "Listen." Commander Riker got up here and he pointed out to all of us, he proved beyond a shadow of a doubt, Data is a machine. Yes, Data was created by a person. Sure was. Guess what? Doesn't matter. Same goes for us. We're machines of a sort. We were created by our parents, so we are not so different from him. So you can throw all that stuff out. You know, Data, he makes a point that Data values sentimental things that really have no practical value and uh, he pulls out that holocubitashi yar he's like listen would an unfeeling non-sentient machine care so deeply about something like this data would you be so kind as to explain the significance of this thing and uh data's like you know i made a promise that i wouldn't and picard's like under the circumstances i do not think tasha would mind so Data explains that the reason that it is so meaningful to him is because he and Tasha had a close relationship. In fact, they were once intimate, which <laughs> takes Louvois a bit by surprise. I don't mind telling you. Were I a man of lesser moral virtue, I might postulate that she might even be thinking about what that even would be like. But since I am a man of greater character than that, I will not make any such suggestion. I know it's difficult operating in the dark, but right now I don't think I have any other choice. You're welcome. That may explain why she didn't show up in Star Trek Picard, after all. You can't expect me to believe that. I'm not going there, James. Sorry. So, so it is, uh, you know, his work with Data, Picard's work with Data is done there. He's made his point. And so he calls his final witness. The hostile Bruce Maddox is called to the stand. And so he asks Commander Maddox, he says, uh, uh, Monsieur Maddox. No, he does not. He doesn't say that. He does not say that. Uh, he says, listen, you keep going on about how Data is not a sentient being, but explain to us, if you would, just, you know, for kicks, what is the definition of sentience? And Maddox is like, well, I guess it would be uh, intelligence, self-awareness, and consciousness, just, you know, off the top of my head. And so Picard says, well, you know, Data seems pretty darn smart to me. Wouldn't you say? I suppose so. And he's like, Data, where are you right now? Well, as it happens, I'm in a, a trial to determine my fate. <laughs> you know, that, that's where I am in my life right now. And Picard's like, I don't know, seems pretty self-aware to me. What do you think? And, and Maddox is clearly uncomfortable. And uh, again, this is a very small, subtle thing that I have to give Jonathan Frakes credit for. There is a quick shot of while Maddox is being grilled and squirming on the stand, Riker has a quiet little moment of self-satisfaction, enjoying how much he is being put to the screws there up on the stand. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not 
like no they don't make a meal of it it's just a, a a simple little thing that if you happen to be looking at him during that scene in the wide shot you notice it so uh you know then picard really wants to lay out the stakes here of what's going to happen if maddox succeeds in what he's attempting to do the end game if you will and that is maddox by his own admission wants to construct hundreds or perhaps even thousands of datas could you perhaps call that a race of datas and you know if that is in fact a race of datas that you are going to press into servitude then what are we talking about here guys so he's like you know you have stipulated that data has passed the first of your two criteria what if he passes the third do you know i don't know He says it a lot more dramatically and eloquently than I have. And in fact, I have put this speech at the top of the show. So you will already have heard it because I think it is the most defining moment of this episode. And and it is, in fact, worth hearing. So uh, you know what he says. So what am I wasting my breath here for? That I can't answer. But um, he, he makes his point. Picard makes the point that you, Captain Louvois, can make a summary ruling here about the future of data, but understand that it's not just data's future that you're ruling on. The stakes here are higher than we can possibly imagine, given what the potential future is. So, you know, you might want to think about that. What we do today may profoundly affect the future. And so uh, she does think about that, and she comes out and she decides, you know what? Data, in fact, is not property. And... Uh, you know, the question really here is, does he have a soul? I don't know if he does. I don't know if I do. But really, it's incumbent upon us to allow him to figure that out for himself. So you do not have to follow this order if you do not choose to do so. And Data then politely refuses. (laughs) And so Maddox reluctantly cancels the transfer order. And then the astonishing thing at least to Bruce Maddox, is that Data comes over to him and he says, listen, you should continue the work you're doing. I find some of what you are proposing pretty cool. So you keep going, and if you get to a point where you will not kill me by my helping you, then let's talk again. And so uh, Maddox says to Louvois, he's remarkable. And she's like, you said he! <laughs> <laughs> You think he's a person now? I mean, you know, again, that, that's the intention. That's not, there, there's some subtlety in this show. Unlike <laughs> certain other shows that we may have devoted a podcast to. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then she turns to Picard. She's like, you see, sometimes it does work. And then she insists on him buying her dinner, which uh, he, he consents to. And that never goes anywhere. Which it it really, you know, rants about Star Trek Picard casting aside. It really is a shame that we never saw this character again because she was great. Like, it, it really is a loss for this series that it doesn't happen. Concur. So in the final scene of the episode, Data discovers a Commander William Riker all by his lonesome staring out the windows of the observation lounge. And he says, hey, uh... Uh, Commander, everybody's in the holodeck celebrating, you know, the fact that I'm not property. Like, you should come. You want to come? 
let's go. Let's, let's, let's go do that. And he's like, data, I don't belong there. I just tried to get you uh declared property. Like I, I just tried to strip you of all of your rights as a being. Like I don't belong there. And Data's like, well, riddle me this commander. Is it not true that if you had not agreed to do that, that I would have been summarily ruled as property and uh, I would have had no options. And he's like, yes, that, 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 that is correct. So you did something that brought great injury to you. And by doing so, you saved my life. So I should be thanking you. And he's like, Data, you are a wise man. So I will go to your party and we will have fun and I will play the heck out of some trombone for you. I don't believe it. That is implied. That, that part is implied. Jazz for the win. Uh, nice. So, so James, the question in light of all of this, the question that I put to you, sir, is James, what did you think of this episode? Analysis. It was a great episode. As you said before, it's one of the uh, pivotal episodes in the history of Star Trek, uh, the next generation and Star Trek in general. And definitely probably one of the episodes that when they were looking to write and start Star Trek Picard had to have been front and center. And I like the correlation between the both as the episode it was on its own back in season two, episode nine. Absolutely. It, it still holds up just as well as it did back then. And um, thank you for telling me that it was a Starbase 173 because I kind of felt like it should have been titled Miracle on Starbase 34th Street instead. But that's <laughs> kind of cool how it, 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 it worked out anyway. Overall, yeah, for just an hour show, I think they hit everything and, and what we're nitpicking about was uh, really kind of splitting hairs in certain aspects. But well written, well done, and just having, uh, especially as we know how well Star Trek The Next Generation went on to become as a series, to be so early in that series and get the characters so right and, and the loyalties so correct and the friendships right off the bat right there. Very well done. It was fun to watch again, and I'm glad that we have this opportunity to talk about it. Yeah, me too. So any specific takeaways from this show, this episode, as regards to Star Trek Picard? Yeah, before we, we go directly into Star Trek Picard, I, I did like the fact that um, they did, com like Maddox compares Data to the Enterprise, which I can't think of a better mm -hmm. compliment, even though he, <laughs> he's uh, trying to say that he's a machine, but... Personally, for me, I love cars and things, and you do get attached to those things. And I love the Enterprises, too. And, and it's just as important a character as any other character is in, in that great series and the movies as well. And uh, also the toaster I, thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, before you go on, I just I, I have something to add to that, what you just said. We would find out, actually, in the same season, in the episode Elementary, Dear Data, that uh, the ship's computer, which is the Enterprise computer, which is what Data was directly compared to, is actually capable of creating sentient life, and so is Data, as we will cover at a later date. Absolutely excellent points, Gary. And also, too, another thing, when they were comparing uh, Data to objects, using the term toaster, I thought that was a pretty cool analogy, only because in the sci-fi world, and I thought about that when I heard it, but uh, I did cheat a little bit because when I watched this episode, I watched it on uh, Amazon Prime and they have little interactive things with like trivia and stuff like that. So they put in there that uh, the Star Trek Next Generation writers were paying homage to the original Battlestar Galactica, that series that came out in 78 and 79. Obviously, they, they redid that so well 
around 2005s going forward. But um, at that time, yeah, they referred to the enemy as a toaster because Cylons, Cylons thank you, because they were very human like, but they were indeed androids or robots or whatever the case was. So that was a pretty cool nod. To answer your question as the correlations directly from Measure of a Man to Star Trek Picard, it's seamless. The writers did do a great job in, in Star Trek Picard to go back to that particular episode, and you have Maddox in there, and that's why we're so stubborn about the the, uh, the Louvois character, because that just would have been such a nice extra touch to it, but whatever reason, they, they had to go another route in Star Trek Picard, but it, it's all about data. It's all about the relationship with Picard. They even also mentioned the um, Lucroix. The she also mentioned that Picard's lack of emotion there too, and that was addressed heavily in Star Trek Picard as well. So very well done. It, it all came full circle in the same realm. And again, what I love about good writing and science fiction and comic books and all that stuff is that it's created a world that is believable. And one of the parts that makes it believable is consistent writing and making sure that you reference things that you remember watching or reading in future incarnations of the series. And I think they did that great uh, in all aspects. Quick question relating to Battlestar Galactica indirectly. That series was headed up by Glenn Larson, who would subsequently go on to have great success with the show Knight Rider, so question for you, James, completely unrelated to Star Trek, obviously the, the kind of showcase draw of Knight Rider, apart from the Hoff, was <laughs> the supercar that it was built on. And my question for you, James, is, is Kit sentient? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. All right. That was that was that was easy. That was simple. You Absolutely. Didn't, you didn't have to have a hearing to determine nope. Kit's sentience or not. Uh-uh. Whether or not he was property. Or... Okay. All right. How about car? Car. <laughs> car di- being the lore. Yes. To Kit's data, which we addressed on Vintage Picard too. So any of yes. our fellow science fiction fans out there, we did not disappoint. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm not willing to make that claim. <laughs> but uh, I, I do. You know. In regards to that, yes, we've we've covered that base. Sorry, sorry, sidebar over. So, yes, my my final thoughts on the episode as regards to Star Trek Picard is uh, we do come to find out that, in fact, Maddox and Data do become friends after a fashion, as Dr. Gerardi tells us in the, the episode where she debuts in Star Trek Picard when she's talking to the Admiral. Something that we witnessed firsthand in, as I alluded to, a a later episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, which I have some degree of confidence we will eventually cover here on this podcast. So you can stay tuned for that. I have a feeling they will choose to. And the other thing that I found interesting is how Picard's entire argument about whether or not data should be considered property hinged on the idea that Maddox's intention was to create a race of datas, essentially a race of positronic androids from him to a whole, you know, numberless group of them. And in fact, we learn in Star Trek Picard that eventually he does accomplish that goal. While they are not built as the property of Starfleet, for the express purpose of being disposable people, he does eventually come to be able to bring that dream to fruition. Because when we get to Capelius and we learn of the 
collaboration between Sung and Maddox. We, we obviously we discover that there is in fact an entire race of positronic beings that are birthed essentially from the essence of data. So it all came full circle. The most impressive accomplishment. That's absolutely right, Gary. And if we just back up a little bit, when we go to Mars and the F8s, right? Yes. Doesn't that completely contradict what this whole uh, uh, trial was about? Uh, How did they get around that? Uh, I would think that the argument would be that they're not actually sentient. Okay. They are creatures that have not achieved sentience. But you know what? You're absolutely right. And it entirely proves out what Picard was saying would happen if the Federation got its hands on a race of disposable creatures. Like, they were not treated as equals and, you know, individuals with rights. They were just treated as manual labor. And, uh, you know... He was a wise man. How well you know me. Maybe the writing was a little bit better than we're giving it credit for, too. James, if I concede to that, then I have to completely re-examine my entire criticism of that series, and that is not something that I am willing to do. The line must be drawn here, this far, no farther. I went too far, I apologize. No, on the contrary. You brought this entire thing full circle. You brought it back around and you brought up a valid, valid point of consideration that I had not seen. And dear listener, if you have something that you saw from this episode or any other that we have not seen or missed or or you think you need to bring to our attention, we would love for you to do so. You can email us at vintagepicard at gmail.com. We are also Vintage Picard on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And if you're feeling so inclined, you can just hit up the hashtag Vintage Picard and try and try and get to us that way. But we want to know what you're thinking. So let us know, please. We want your thoughts on this episode and any episode that you see parallels with that you'd like us to cover in the future. Anyone receiving this transmission, please respond. So we want to hear from you there. We also want to hear that you have subscribed to this podcast so that you will never miss a drop when we do release an episode. Since we are going to the every other week schedule now, you may not realize what week it is. And you may wonder if there's going to be a brand new vintage Picard, or you may forget that it's already been a week and there's a new one. So we don't want you to have to think about it. We don't want you to have to worry. We don't want you to have to set a calendar reminder because really who wants to bother with that nonsense? Just subscribe on whatever platform you so choose. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Spreaker, Spotify. We're on all of those and more. So if you want us, please get us. So we will speak to you two weeks hence. And in the interim, we would love for you to take that time to purchase our brand new Vintage Picard merch. It is an outline of everyone's favorite Kuat Malat. Hello. And that outline is made up of words and phrases that epitomize his character, especially that one, that one magical phrase that he is so very closely associated with. So we hope to see you next time wearing those shirts. And in the interim, as you're doing that, we would urge you sincerely, please, my friends, choose to live. 
Bye. You know what? Let me just check. Um, yeah. Just to make Whatever sure. Whatever you need to do. No, that's right. Absolutely. Absolutamente. <laughs> yeah. Absolutamente. That's probably not even. Uh, <laughs> that's not any language. <laughs> Whoops.